Let's open up with word. Father, we're grateful for always for an opportunity to talk about Jesus, your son, and to receive the living bread who he represents. And we are thankful, Jesus, that you gave yourself willingly for us. You looked at us as something that the father prized and desired above all else and gave yourself to win us for him. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. And thank you that that sacrifice is perpetual. It just continues the results of that work. Continue, and we see that in your word, and we receive the life and strength of that sacrifice daily from your word, Father. We have the potential to. And I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, speak through me. Use me as a vessel, Holy Ghost, that would bring forth the word of the Father unadulterated, untouched and mangled by the soul or flesh, Father, as pure as it can be, O God, that people would receive revelation knowledge, O God, understanding. And and I just thank you, Father, for ears to hear, for eyes to see, in the name of Jesus, all the glory and honor unto you. Amen. Well, do you have your seatbelts on? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So we're talking about the practical word. And if you missed last week, get the tape. Or uh, it, there's no such thing as tapes anymore. Get the digital copy via the Internet. So uh, I invite you to listen to the podcast because it's now available. Um, I've been told that it, it ministered to some folks. So uh, go and get that and, and learn about what we talked about last week because I'm not going to cover that. We're going to move on here. Um <clears throat> Okay, you know the last thing that we we left off talking about the the uh, the importance of the word, and we talked about several things. And one of the things we talked about or ended up with was the scripture over in Second Peter, Peter chapter one that talks about how we participate or partake of the divine nature through the great and precious promises. Uh, I think does everyone remember that? And we got into Second Peter. And we were talking about basically how in uh, in the verses um, uh, there, uh, let's just turn over there for a second, Second Peter. I had a couple things I wanted to finish up. Let me get over to the... Okay. And we talked about how uh, here, it, you know, that that through the divine power of God, he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And everything is all things, right? It's not most things. It's all things. And it says everything that pertains to our life, everything that pertains to godliness or holiness or ability to be like God. And when it comes right down to it, you know, Leanne and I were talking about what does godliness really mean as far as the, the verse on down that talks about add to your faith, so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, which is really a, a, a model of spiritual maturity or spiritual growth. And really what you see a lot of times translated for that godliness, Leanne, is holiness. So it's not being tainted. It's, it's being like God from a perspective of not being corrupted by the world. Okay. So that's that's something maybe to add or expound on some some revelation there as far as what godliness uh, means, but um, 
Okay, so let me get back into the uh, the end of this scripture. Let's look on down here too. So we got the divine or great and precious promises by those we participate in the divine nature. And, and the divine nature is everything that pertains to God's life, to his, his abilities, to his strengths, to his uh, gifts and the things that we need in order to walk above the world and the thing and the corruption thereof by lust. And so we talked about how we participate in those promises through the word of God or participate in that uh, divine nature through the word of God, through his great and precious promises. And he laid out basically, like I said, a model of spiritual maturity here. And if you look into um, uh, verse 5, or look at verse 5, and it says, Beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity, or agape love. And if you look at this, you just see it ramping up. From, from a foundational level of faith all the way up to the pinnacle of spiritual maturity, which is a flow of the God, the essence of our Father God, which is love. Because that's who he is. And so I told you all that you all can gauge your spiritual maturity in areas. And Leanne and I had a conversation afterwards I thought was very good with respect to, you know, you grow up in different areas of your life and you don't grow up in different areas of your life. It's not just a one gauge for, okay, there you are, you know, complete as a, as spirit, you know, from a spiritual maturity standpoint. It's talking about all the areas of your life. You, you may be farther along in some areas of your life spiritually than you are in others. You know, I mean, every one of us have things that we have to work on. I thought that was a good uh, conversation we had there to bring some light to some of this. But uh, the bottom line here was we were talking about participating in the divine nature. And how do you accomplish that? Because last week we're talking about the importance of the word. You accomplish that through the word of God. If you don't participate in the word of, I mean, if you don't partake of the word of God on a regular basis, on a routine basis, on a basis of revelation to get understanding, in other words, then you can forget participating in the divine nature of God. You can, you can forget you know, seeing the exercise and the manifestation of his life in your life if you're not going to engage the word of God. Because that's how that, we talked about it being like a well inside of you. And this, the great and precious promises of which we have over 7,000 in the word, the word of God, those are like 7,000 buckets that we use to access the divine nature, this well of life within inside of us. So if we're not going to you to get in the word of God, learn it and get to a place of understanding and practical use thereof, then you can forget partaking and drawing up out of that well of the divine nature. So that was one that that's the point I just kind of wanted to finish with on that. So let's move into approaching the word of God. We talked about the importance of the word of God last week. Let's talk about approaching the word of God. Okay. And. So hang on, because we got we got some ground to cover here. The first point I want to bring up is the fact that you have to, when you approach the Word of God, you have to understand that it's more than just words on a page. I mean, if you haven't come to the place that you accept and you understand, at least from a rudimentary standpoint, that the Word of God is an inspired book and not just a piece of literature to be put on the shelf with every other book that's been written by man, then we've got problems. Because you'll never get beyond the depth 
of your appreciation for what the Word of God is. I mean, if you if you don't understand and accept it as an inspired book, then forget it. It won't be any greater than the, the inspiration of uh, that your mind can bring as if you were reading another piece of literature, okay? And so let's get into a little bit of the aspects of this. First of all, to, to understand that there are more than words on the page, you, you're going to see that these words are inspired of God. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, he tell, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, says, all scriptures God breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thorough means complete. Every is all. If you're looking to be equipped, if you're looking to come to a place of ability, capability in the things of God, it's going to come by way of the scripture that's God breathed here. Okay, Second uh, Peter uh, 1, 20 through 21. First of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So you have to understand these words are inspired words. They're not just good words that smart men came up with or men that had some concepts or ideas about the things of God decided to write down on the page. No, the word of God is very clear. It says that men spoke as they were moved by God. The word Greek from the Greek that, that is translated to moved by is, is like a wind would blow a leaf along the floor of the forest. In other words, that leaf is subject to the force of that wind blowing it along. Now, it has to be in a place that it can be exposed to the wind for it to see that force. Same thing for these men. They were in a place that they were exposed to the wind of the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that blew them along as, and that's what it starts out. The scripture is God breathed. So we see that it's an inspired word. It's an inspired word inspired by God himself. So these words are inspired. They are spirit and life. They are spirit and life. And here's the deal. Don't separate the spirit and life aspect from the word. See that, and that's the problem is that so much of our, of, of our appreciation, so much of our experience with the things of God are no deeper than our soul. And if they don't go deeper than your soul, they're not going to go very deep because guess what? They're spirit first before they're anything to do with the soul. And the soul doesn't contact the spirit realm. The spirit does. Now, the soul can make decisions to contact it through the spirit. Okay, and that's what we're talking about here. The spirit, they Jesus said they are spirit pneuma. They are spirit and they are life. Both together. And that life is Zoe. It's, it's the, it's the, it's, it's the God life. So they are spirit and they are life. That's John 6, 63. And God wants, and the next thing you need to understand about the fact that there are more than words on the page here is that God wants you to understand. He hasn't put a bunch of things in here for us to wonder in, about in a, in a mystery. Oh, my goodness, what does that mean? Oh, my goodness, I can't understand that. Oh, my goodness, it's contradictory. Oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, it's just I don't understand the Bible. I've heard people say that a lot. And the thing is, though, they don't understand that God wants them to understand the Word. 
Why would he give him something that he that that is his means, his primary means of communication, and yet he doesn't intend for you to, to to receive it, to understand it, and receive it? That's ludicrous. Of course, he wants you to understand. Mark four thirty three through thirty four. This this is what it says about Jesus. It says with many similar parables, Jesus spake the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Right there, we see Jesus, the Son of God, explaining the things to his disciples. I want you to think about what's spoken here in Matthew 13, 10 through 11. The disciples came to him and asked and said, why do you speak to us in parables? And I think that's where we stand a lot of times with the word of God. Our experience is one of almost, like I said, a continual mystery. And we're going around like, God, I don't understand this. Why do you just, why have you, Is I, I accept maybe, yeah, that it is inspired. These are your words, but I can't get past the, the I can't get to a, a place of understanding here. But maybe it's because you don't really think God wants you to understand. And let me tell you, religion has done a lot to put a lid on that. And there, hello, there was something called the dark ages. They didn't even want the word of God out, much less to a place that people could read and understand it back in the day. And so, uh, you know, there's still a spiritual dark age in many respects because of things like this. And because that people feel like the only way that they can understand, the only people that can understand the word of God are preachers or evangelists or people that, and, and the only people that can deliver understanding in the word of God are the fivefold ministry team that are up in the pulpit. No, the Holy Ghost is the teacher and he's inside of every one of you according to the word of God. And so he's going to lead you into understanding, but you have to have to know that God wants you to understand. Okay, so the second point in approaching the Word of God, you have to be diligent. You have to dig, folks. You have to dig. Hebrews eleven six it says, "Without faith, it is impossible." You mean there's an some there's an impossibility with God? I thought I thought the Word says with God, God all things are possible. But well, yeah, that's true. But you got to understand that without Faith, it is impossible with God. Not that God has an inability, it's that it's an, you have an inability to receive from Him without faith. It's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Diligence means to search out, it means to investigate. And the thing about diligence is, is that it doesn't happen with one visit or one experience. Diligence is like a principal or like a private investigator who is going to every nook and cranny, to every testimonial source he can find in order to gather evidence. That's diligence. You don't go and just say, yep, I come in here and I I read this and I've experienced that and read that chapter, so I got what I needed out of that and expect that that you've got the fullness of the revelation in it. No. And even if you have received a revelation, don't expect that that's all there is in that verse. You know, I've received stuff 20 years later after I've already been through and received revelation. And, And as many folks here can, I guarantee, can attest to the same thing. That in the same scripture, and then all of a sudden, uh, the light, further light will come on about it. Okay, so, so you have to be diligent. Um, Proverbs 3.13 says, blessed are those who find wisdom. 
Blessed are those who find wisdom. What does find it mean? What does it imply? That means that you're what? You're looking. You're seeking. If you're not looking, you ain't going to find. That's just all there is to it. And so diligence has to do with looking. And listen to what it says. It says, there, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. So we see an analogy of precious things, silver, gold. And guess what? None of those precious things are found by just going out onto the ground and I'm picking up nuggets. They have to be dug for. They have to be mined. They have to be extracted. Same to the word of God and the, and the, and the revelation in it. You got to be diligent. You've got to, uh, to, to go, to look for it. You know, second Timothy two fifteen says, study to show yourself approved unto God. It does notice that it doesn't say read to show yourself approved unto God. A workman needeth not be ashamed. It says study. So what does study imply? Study implies that you're going to be studious. You're going to put yourself in an, in an applied posture to dig and for understanding. So it's not read to show yourself approved. It's study to show yourself approved. Okay. And then the third point, God continues to speak through his word. So it's not that this is the end all be all of God's inspired utterance. He continue, and what you get or what you see on that page is is only the only revelation that's there. He continues to speak through those same words today. Today, I mean, in the present tense. Listen to what Jesus says, Matthew four four. But he answered and said, "It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God." And the word proceedeth here is a continuing action verb. It means that the thing that is taking place, the word that is coming out of God's mouth, continues to flow forth. It's not that it happened and then we're reaping the benefits of of a past experience. It's that it's continuing. It happened, but then it's continuing and we're reaping the benefits of a present tense action. Do Do you see that? It's a continuing action verb. It continues today. His speaking forth through his word. The fourth point, the word is our spiritual food. You know, we're talking about how we approach the word. We talked about the importance last week. We're talking about how we approach it this week. The word is our spiritual food. That's the fourth point of this con- of this um, teaching tonight. And again, in Matthew 4, 4 there, Jesus clearly conveys that there's another bread. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So he implies that there's another bread out there. It's not just the bread that we know from a perspective of physical intake. It's, there's another bread. He said, you can't live on that only, that intake only. Okay. And Jesus, you know, in the, notice in his model prayer that he includes a request for food. And the thing is, I think that his request for food here, the daily bread, has more to do with our spiritual sustenance than it does even our physical sustenance. And if you look at Luke, or think about Luke 11, 2 through 3, he said, When you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (coughs) Give us this day, give us this day our daily bread. I think that this is a spiritual intake. This is the spiritual food. We are to be in a posture of seeking that spiritual food by asking God for it. 
God, I need your bread today. I need the word of God. Open it to me. Give it to me, Father. You know, that's, and that's, that was a part of Jesus' model prayer when his disciples asked him, asked him, teach us to pray, O God. And what, what, what central part of that prayer is, is included here? Give us this day. Give us this day. It's a daily thing. It's not once a week. It's not twice a week. It's a daily thing. Just like you have to eat every day. I mean, you don't have to, but all of us enjoy eating every day and multiple times a day for that matter. Okay, in, in like natural food, okay, like the natural bread that we understand and that we've been t- taken in since we were, we were first hit the earth in order for our physical bodies to be sustained, the spiritual food varies also for all states of maturity, okay? It's just like when a baby is born, they are not in a place to be eating up a steak, You can't feed that baby apple pie. No matter how good it tastes to you, that baby is not in a place to take that apple pie in. Now, he may taste it or she may taste it and be like, because it tastes good to them, but they can't chew that up. They can't swallow that. And if you keep cramming that kind of stuff in their mouth, they're going to choke to death or throw up, and you'll have a mess to clean up. And so the same thing with regard to spiritual food. It's absolutely no different. We, as we start our, our growth in the things of the Spirit, are only able to take in certain things spiritually. You're not equipped to take in steak from a spiritual standpoint when you, as, you, as a babe in Christ. You know? Same thing. And, and, and you can see that babies need milk first. First Peter 2, 2, same thing in the Spirit. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. There Peter's talking about it. Desire the milk. Desire the milk. But he says, if you're a newborn babe, desire the milk. See, of course, that's what babies drink. They have to have milk. So there is a milk level of the word of God and revelation for us to grow. But then you're expected to mature, to grow to a place that you can begin to take more and more in in terms of the revelation and the maturity of the types of food that God has for us to receive. And as so as people grow, as babies grow, they move on to more variety, substance, and volume. You know, when I was, you know, mom can tell you, when I was two years old, I guarantee you I didn't eat as much as I did when I was 15. Y'all see what I'm saying? Same thing spiritually. You know, newborn babes, you're not going to sit there and expect them to spend all day in the Word of God or two hours in the Word of God. It's wonderful. If they have a hunger for that, let them go. But I'm just saying you can't, that's an unrealistic expectation any more than it is for us to expect a newborn babe to just ingest the same volume of food that an 18-year-old would. It's just not going to be the same and the same type of food. Okay. And so listen to what this says in, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 2. It says, here's Paul talking to the Corinthians church, and they've got some problems, some mature, spiritual maturity issues, and he's addressing them based on this issue. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. That's Paul talking to Christians, spirit-filled Christians. You don't believe me? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where he talks about the spiritual gifts. And how they operated in it. These are spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christians. And he's sitting there telling them, I'd like to give you more, but I can't. It's, I had to give you milk. 
So here we, here we see that they haven't grown to a place to receive in, in, and they haven't grown in revelation. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, same thing to the Hebrew church. Much more could be said about this subject, but it's hard to explain. And all of you are slow to understand. Man, that's pretty hard words, isn't it? It says, by now you should have been teachers. Man, this is Paul, man. He's, he's admonishing them. He's saying, man, guys, you and gals, you've had a long time to come to grow. You've had an ample time to grow to a place that you are taking in solid food. And he's saying, and, and, and in fact, you should be a place where you're feeding people and getting them to grow. That's what teachers should be doing. But now he says, once again, you need to be taught the simplest things about what God has said. You need milk instead of solid food. People who live on milk are like babies who don't really know what is right. Solid food is for mature people who have been trained to know right from wrong. So we, there's a lot right there that I think people need to get in and dig with regard to their own spiritual condition. See exactly where you think you're at with respect to this in terms of what spiritual food you're taking in. Your food maturity depends on your spiritual growth. That's the bottom line. Food maturity equals spiritual maturity or vice versa. So let's move on to the next concept. Key concepts of the spiritual diet. Key concepts of the spiritual diet. So we obtain spiritual food from the word of God and the word he speaks to us. So it's the spoken, revealed truth of God, the rhema of God. That's what rhema is. It's the, it's the spoken word understood. I think that's why I defined it last week. It's the word that's spoken to you that you understand. Received, understood. That's rhema. Very simple. So that is the spiritual food. That is the bread that Jesus was talking about. It's not just the words on the page. It's the words that God from that page speaks to you. Speaks to you. Speaks to you. And that you receive and understand. Okay? That is what rhema is. It's a spoken word. It's a communicated word. And Romans ten seventeen proves that. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I've said this, I don't know how many times, and I'm going to keep saying it. The word, word there, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that word, word is the word rhema. It's the communicated word. Your faith, which begins the foundation that set, that Peter was talking about over in Second Peter chapter one, you know, starting with faith and building on faith from there, that faith is the foundation. It's not the end of your spiritual growth. It's the foundation. And then everything else is built on that all the way up to agape love. The, the pinnacle of maturity in the spirit, okay, in terms of the, the cycle there, if you will. But the thing is, is that that faith, the foundation, guess how it comes? It comes only one way, and it's by the spoken, communicated, received, and understood word of God in your life. So how important is the word? How do you approach the word? you got to approach it from the perspective of, I have to get understanding, or else it, it's not that good to me. I'm not going to have faith grow. I'm not going to have a foundation laid to be able to do anything more. That's how important it is. And that's the way we hear. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema. So you have to have rhema in order to hear the word the way God intends for you to hear it. And to receive spiritual bread, you have to be able to hear his voice, his words that he speaks, the rhema. 
And if you turn over to Luke chapter 8, and I've talked about this a couple times before, and I, I, I spent a long time on this with the young adults. Too bad, young adults, you're going to hear it again. Because this is absolutely paramount. Luke chapter 8. Now if I can get my thing to work here. And if you start out in verse 4 here, we can see this is the parable of the sower. And Jesus talks about sowing, you know, a sower goes out to sow the seed in verse 5. As he sowed, some uh, fell by the wayside. Other was trodden down and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell by the rock. And as soon as it got there, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up, choked it. And some fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And then he says, I love what he says in verse 8. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Really, when you get right down to it, this parable is a parable about hearing. I mean, if, it, if it's anything else, it's definitely a parable about hearing. Because if, if you look at this, uh, <clears throat> let's see here. Let's go on down to where it actually explains it. Well, actually, it's in another, it's in another book. But the bottom line is, is that he goes on to explain this parable and he says, do you not understand what this parable means? And he says, the one that had the rocks or the uh, seed sown that fell on the pathway is the one who hears the word and it doesn't take root in him. You know, it gets immediately robbed up. The one who has the seed that is sown among the rocks is the one who hears the word. And every time Jesus says, is the one who hears the word, is the one who hears the word, is the one who hears the word, is the one who hears the word all four times. And so to me, and then he has says he starts the whole thing out with, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. This is really a parable about hearing. And, and what do we think, what do we know that we've talked about with respect to the importance of hearing? Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. And we know the seed that's sown here is the word of God. And, you know, I think I shared with you guys, I had never heard this before, but I felt like the Spirit of God gave me revelation with respect to this parable because so oftentimes we look at these different aspects of ground and having received the Word as different people's lives when, in effect, I believe that you can have all four of these grounds in your own life. I truly believe that. I believe you can have a highway of the of the world in your life that the Word of God cannot... I mean, as soon as it hits, it's just immediately taken away because you're too close to the world. You've got too much of an influence and nexus and connection with the world. Then you can have to, uh, the aspect of too many stones that get in the way that you do receive the Word and it tries to take root, but it just can't. When the sun gets up, it burns away. Then you can have a place in your life that you receive the word and it actually takes root and it grows. But then what happens? You get too, too worried about things. The deceitfulness of riches, you know, and that, th- that kind of stuff, the thing, the cares of life. And then it chokes out the word. It doesn't kill it. It just keeps it from being fruitful. It only grows to a certain level in your life and it cannot produce fruit. But then you have good ground. And I feel like that this, you know, all we, as we all sit here, thus saith Greg, I feel like all of us have probably all four of these conditions in one way or facet or another in our lives. I do. I do. The Word of God isn't as productive in, in some areas of my life as it is in others. That's what we were talking about last week, Leah. That's exactly right. Okay. 
Okay, so let's move on from that. So let's just kind of reiterate the importance of hearing. How do you hear, though? The importance of how you hear. Well, first of all, how do you hear something? You have to have a sound, right? And that sound has to be intelligible. And, and as far as communication is concerned, it has to be words that someone is speaking to you, a message that is being spoken, and you hear, you receive it, you understand it. So it has to, it requires spoken, intelligible utterance. And you know, again, Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's him speaking. The word of God is him speaking to us. Rhema, the spoken or communicated word of God. It also requires, though, attentiveness. And I don't want you to listen to this, man. I'll tell you what, this is, this, this was just pricked my heart. Listen to what Luke 5, 1 says, and it says, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, Jesus, that is, to hear the word of God. When's the last time, folks, that we pressed upon him to hear? I mean, really, I mean, pressed upon him doesn't mean to just come and sit by him. It means to come and rub up against him because you are trying to get his attention and get so close to him that there's no way there's any extraneous noise that's going to filter or or absolve anything he says to you. You're going to hear exactly what he says at the ample volume that that he says it to you. And most importantly, you're getting his attention if I'm pressing into Kaylin, I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm pressing into her and I'm like demanding her attention. Y'all see that? Man, I, I tell you, that verse just kind of pricked my heart. When's, and I was thinking, you know, when's the last time I have really pressed upon Jesus to hear the word? Just like these people here. As the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. Man, that, that was inspirational to me. It still is. So when was the last time that you really pressed upon him to hear it? So you have to develop your spiritual ears, your sense of hearing. Not, But here's the deal. The spiritual ears are not the ears of your mind. They're not the ears of your intellect. They're not the ears of your reasoning. They are spiritual. They are your ability to receive and understand things from a, from your spirit standpoint. And you've got to develop this ability. You have to develop that sense from a spiritual standpoint. And and here's why. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, but the natural man, and, and if you look at the Greek natural man here, it's actually referring to the suke, which is the natural mind, will, and emotions. That part of your life that you can live, that God has given you, that you can decide to do with whatever you want, and it can live apart from God or with him, or partially with him, or however you develop it. The soul salvation aspect, whether you get it saved or not. The Sukikos man is what it is in the Greek. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Everybody say does not. Everybody say does not. Yeah, it does not. Do we understand does not? What does that mean? Yet, why is it that we limit our experience with the Word of God to the soul? Whenever the inspired Word of God through the, the, the uh, man of God here is telling you it does not receive. 
the spiritual things. But yet we're going around going, I can't understand the word of God. I don't get any revelation. I just don't, the word of God is a mystery to me. I don't see its application. Well, guess what? Because it's a spirit and life thing and not a soul thing. It's a spirit thing. And so if you're only limiting your experience with the word of God to a soulish perspective, you will not receive the fullness of what it is because it's a spiritual thing first. That's the word of God, man. I mean, that's, that's easy. I just use logic to understand that. I don't have to have inspiration to understand the words in that sentence. Because listen to what it says. It says he does not receive. He does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him. Talking about your natural reasoning, your mind. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Discern means to get understanding, to come to a place of, of, of vision, being able to see something. You cannot come to a place of seeing and understanding and being enlightened in the word of God by a soulish only experience with it. It's just not going to happen. That's the word of God here. So trying to understand or reason out the things of the spirit through your soul will never, capital N-E-V-E-R, it will never work. I don't care what people will tell you. I don't care how it sounds. I don't care what many thousands of hours of soulish, uh, deep experience with the word of God that's been poured forth from the pulpit seems to sound like, you know, good or not or peaceful or, you know, that's inspirational. It'll, it's only as deep as that per, as the soul. And according to this word, it's not spirit because it's, it's spiritual things can't be discerned by the soul. So you receive revelation here through your spirit by the spoken word of God, the rhema. Listen to Proverbs 20, 27. It says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. God uses your spirit like a flashlight, like a candle. That is the illuminating essence of your person from a spiritual standpoint as far as God is concerned. And guess what God is? He's a spirit. And so if we're going to understand and have illumination about God, we have to touch and relate with a spirit from our spirit first. And so God uses and touches our spirit to then bring understanding and enlightenment to our soul. That's the process. Okay, so steps to receiving your spiritual food. Steps to receiving your spiritual food, the practical word. That's the whole title of this teaching, so we're down to it now. And what I mean by that, I put practical in quotes. Well, I'm talking about the real application. I'm going to write a book one day, and it's going to be called Practical Christianity. And I know that sounds like a $10 title, but really I'm, I'm calling it practical because I'm talking about applied Christianity, not theoretical not doctrinal. I'm talking about living, breathing, every day I get up. This is what Christianity is to me. Do you all see, you know what I'm talking about? And I've told you guys, I think every year I get older, I get more and more, Pastor CJ, to a place where I'm like, what is practical about this? How can I, how can I get to a place to where I can do something with this? What's what, you know, I mean, theory is great. Doctrine is great. But how does this apply? <laughs> you know? How can I teach somebody something that they can use it to benefit in their life? 
Step number one, we have seven steps. Hey, I didn't even plan it that way. Seven steps to receiving your spiritual food, the practical word. Ask your father. Guess what? Ask your father. We talked about that. And it's a daily thing. Just like Jesus said, teach us to pray, O God. And part of that, right in the middle of that prayer, is asking the father for your daily bread. Ask him. That's step number one. Number two, emphasize and activate your spirit by praying in the spirit for a little bit. Give your spirit voice. The quickest way, a lot of people are like, well, I just don't know how to get in the spirit, quote unquote. You want me to tell you the quickest way to access your spirit? Give, give your spirit voice, start praying in the spirit, and you're, you're, in this, you're moving. You're starting to move. Now, I'm not telling you you're 100%... <laughs> You know, you know, functional spiritually, but you got one very, very important part of it going, and that's the voice of your spirit hooked up with the Holy Ghost who's giving you inspired utterance. Speak that out for a while. Speak that out for a while. You know, I heard someone I have tremendous respect for, and I've listened to hundreds and hundreds of hours of teaching, and I've heard him say this a hundred times. I've heard him saying it once. He said even at his maturity spiritually, and the man was, was quite, quite accomplished, uh, in, in, in this, in the spiritual things and in revelation and the word of God. He said that sometimes it would take him up to 45 minutes to get his soul quiet enough to hear, hear well. 45 minutes. And, and how did he do it? Praying in the spirit. He prayed in the spirit. He put the focus on his spirit, gave his spirit voice, and, and put the emphasis on his spirit. And just every time his mind, and he said the whole time, his mind might be just trailing and just thinking about different things. But it's like, no, no, and you just keep praying in the spirit, putting the focus and emphasis on your spirit, allowing your spirit to come to the forefront and eventually get into the place that that soul takes a seat. And it can and will happen, but guess what? Diligence is the key. You can't just go for five minutes and go, well, I tried it. Or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. There may be days that you can't get your soul quiet. I mean, it's like everything in you. And, and uh, I mean, you know, I mean, there may be days it just seems like you can't get it quiet. But if you will stay diligent, it's a discipline. You will get to that place. And he said most of the time it was about 20 to 30 minutes, sometimes up to 45 minutes, he said, on average, that it would take him to get his soul quiet. And guess what he's doing the whole time? Praying in the spirit. So that, that's step number two. Activate your spirit. Emphasize it by praying in the spirit for a while. Give your spirit voice. Step number three. Thank God for the bread you're about to receive. That's what you do before every meal, right? I mean, you know, most people are praying, thanking God for the meal they're about to receive. It's faith because you haven't received anything yet. So it's, and what does that do? That pleases God, doesn't it? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it's also a place that you see the nexus or connection to provision. When you see Jesus healing people, half the time it was according to your faith, so be it unto you. Do you, if you don't have an expectation that you're going to receive anything, then why do we even start the process? It's exactly what the scripture says. If any man comes to God, he must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. If you don't believe that he exists, why do you come to him? If you don't believe that he rewards or that he returns or that he's going to speak to you, then why are we even playing the game? 
Why are we going through the motions? So thank God for the food you're about to receive. Number four, step number four, open the word of God. And, and this, listen, now, some of this, these steps are thus saith Greg now. I mean, God hasn't said now these are the seven steps to receive from the word. This is just, just what I have practiced and I have seen practical for me that works. And I'm just giving you what I think are practical steps. You know, I was taught this when I was young. I was taught this by my mom and dad to a degree and then to, by um, uh, Ina Rose and Charlie as I was brought up in a spirit-filled environment. You know, I was taught practical ways to get into the Word of God and by the people that I've listened to, lots of hours of teaching I've listened to, to get this too. So step number four, open the Word of God and begin to move through some passages until you come to a place that something just kind of catches your attention Demands your focus. And so we're going to get down to it, but a lot of people say, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, how do you, where do you even start? Do you just like go, uh, I'm closing my eyes and I'm going to flip until it feels right. And then I'm going to stop and start reading. Well, I mean, if that works for you, I, I purpose to do what, what I've heard some folks that I have tremendous respect for and have a tremendous level of spiritual maturity attained to told me to do and they say to spend the majority of your time and your focus in the letters in the new testament so so if you if you haven't done this very much that's one of my points i'm gonna get down to it i'm stepping ahead but you know go to the epistles go to first and second corinthians go to go eat popcorn galatians ephesians uh philippians colossians I mean, go to those epistles, those letters, Romans. Go to one of the letters and just begin reading somewhere. Just start somewhere. Just begin reading. And you know what? As you read and you you pray to the Spirit, you put your place yourself in a place to have some spiritual focus. As you read, you may read two or three chapters and nothing really stands out any more than the first scripture you read, started with. But I promise you, as you develop this now, this is, what is it again? Diligence. You keep doing this. You keep spending time. You keep reading through some passages. And when you come to the place that there is something that catches your attention, something that just, I don't know, what is about that? Go back to it. Don't pass on by it. Go back to that and spend some time and focus on that. And that's my next uh, point. So you start with the familiar books first. Things You can start with the Proverbs and Psalms. Wonderful. Go to the Proverbs and Psalms. Spend some time there. But always spend the majority of your time, as I've learned, you know, and applied in my life and seen the fruit thereof, in the letters of the New Testament. So, and you could go to my old Bible, the one, my paper copy, and if you go to the Bible, you're going to see that the most worn pages are, are where the letters are. Because that's where I would spend the most of my time in it. And now you can't see that on the iPad, you know. But you read and reread the passages that stand out to yourself multiple times, praying in the Spirit throughout this effort to keep focusing your efforts on and from your Spirit in the process. Keep your spirit engaged. Read the passages. Reread them. Keep your spirit engaged. Be thanking God for understanding. 
Okay, so then uh, step number, where are we on? Six? That was step number five. Read and reread the passages that stand out, keeping the focus on the Spirit. Step number six, break the passages down. You know, I mean, just go into it and begin breaking it down into pieces of the sentence. And, and speak it to yourself. Speak the passage to yourself. And speak out any utterance that comes, you know, as you do this. You know, and so, like, you can go down through here and say, let's just, let's just look at a, 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 a scripture here. Okay, so, like, I just happen to have this Luke 8.10 open here. And I'm, and look, let's, let's say that this is a particular scripture that seems, something just seems to be catching my attention. Some, something about this scripture. And I'm spending time and I'm reading and I'm rereading it. And I'm, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, and he said, and who's he here? It's Jesus. And Jesus said unto you, well, who is you here? Well, he's talking to me. If this is the word of God uh, that's inspired and is, and applies to me as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, if he says unto you, then I can put unto Greg, it is given to know. What does it mean to know? Well, it, first of all, the knowledge is given to me. I don't have to earn it. It's given to me. And I see that it's, it, that, that what's given to me is the ability to know which means i can have understanding of what of the mysteries well what are the mysteries the things that i don't know the things that 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 are deep the things that are spiritual it's it's given to me the, the god jesus is there giving this unto me to me greg see what i'm saying i'm breaking this down it's given unto me to know the mysteries of the kingdom Well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God represents a place and a space and landscape of reign, of rule, of of utter and complete dominion. And it's given of me to know and understand the essence of that dominion. Y'all see what I'm doing? I did not plan this. I'm I'm just showing you how you can go about breaking down a verse, muttering it. Putting it, per, making it personal. When you see you, put your name in there. Put your name in there. And then look what he said. And then he, then he talks. Okay, so let's just go on uh, there. But that gives you an idea of what I'm talking about. How you see how I was breaking that down. That's one way to approach it. Just break it down. Uh, uh, if it's a personal you, put your name in there. And break it down, go word by word, and just uh, roll it over in your spirit as you're praying in the spirit, muttering this. Mutter means to speak something out. And speak out any utterance that comes. Did you notice I spoke a lot of words that aren't in this scripture? Guess what? That was utterance that came out of my heart. And I was giving voice to it. That's inspired. See? And that's the same kind of being blown along like a leaf in the wind that inspired the Word of God. It's the same Holy Ghost. He's the one that inspired it to be written. Do you think he could he could deliver the revelation and communicate the mess the intended message? Yes, absolutely. Everybody say go like this. Yes. Okay. But anyway, stay aware of your meditations and keep muttering them, rolling them around in your heart. Listen to what uh, Joshua 1.8 says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in. 
If you look at the word, thou shalt meditate on it, it actually comes from a Hebrew word that actually means to mutter. It means to do exactly what I just did in, as far as I'm concerned in breaking down a passage where you're going, you're speaking it out over and over and you're taking pieces of it and you're rendering the inspired utterance of what it, what's coming up in your heart about that and you're speaking it out and you're speaking it out. That means mutter. And it says there uh, in that scripture, it says to meditate on it day and night. You should be muttering the word of God day and night. Notice it says, do not let it depart from your mouth. See, so, of course, meditation applies to, to that, not letting it depart from my mouth. It's a mouth thing. And then it says you got to be careful to do all that's written therein. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. Well, and actually, that's the next one. Wow, that's a wonderful segue. So the last point, point number seven, most important part of eating. You know, you could spend so much time choosing the right ingredients, putting together a wonderfully tasting, a wonderful tasting meal. You could consume that meal, and if you have no uh, capacity to digest that and extract the nutrients out of that meal, what good is it? What good is it except for the experience you had in consuming it? It's not going to sustain your life. You know, digestion is a huge part of this eating process. And I think we leave this part out a lot of times when we talk about how to get something from the Word of God. But the bottom line is, is that knowledge itself is not the end goal here. It's not just, it's not just the end of the spiritual meal. The fact that you come to a place of understanding about something. Because you know what? Demons understand a lot about Jesus. That's what it says, you know. It says that they 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 know a lot about him too. But, you know, revelation knowledge. They they saw it firsthand. You know. So it's not just knowledge in itself is not the end goal. Yes, that's that's the you're heading towards that prize. But here we got to chew, get that word down, and then it's got to be digested. You must digest and process it by doing it. I'm going to keep you a couple minutes late, okay? I'm going to tell you that right now. Is, is everybody complicit with that? Okay. Because this is so important. This is my last point, but I've got to talk, to talk about this. Spend just a little bit of time on it. A, few min- a couple minutes here, three minutes. John 4, 31 through 34. Well, first of all, okay, I said that. John 4. 31 through 34, it says, In the mean, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. This is the woman at the well experience. The disciples have come back after getting some food. And they're coming back to give Jesus some food. And they're telling him, Eat, Master. But Jesus said to them, I have meat to eat that you don't even know of, fellas. He says, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him something to eat? See, they're so focused on the only concept they have of eating, which is the physical intake of sustenance. That's all they can see here. And Jesus is talking about that other food that we talked about earlier. And Jesus saith unto them, my meat, my food, my sustenance is to do, is to do, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. It's to do the word. Of God, not just hear it, but to do it. James 1, 22, 25, obey God's message. I love this translation. It's contemporary English. Obey God's message. Don't fool yourselves by just listening to it. I mean, how many times have I heard a good sermon and not applied it? I'm talking about myself. 
He says, don't fool yourselves by just listening to it. If you hear the message and don't obey it, you are like people who stare at themselves in a mirror and forget what they look like as soon as they leave. But you must never stop looking at the perfect law that sets you free. God will bless you in everything you do if you listen and obey and don't just hear and forget. Man, that's a good translation of that. Love that. So the doer here in verse 22 comes from the Greek word that means performer or poet. It's literally one who makes. It's one who makes. And so it's a single finite action. It's not something that is, 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 in other words, it's not something that they just work at and work at and work at and then get to the place that they do it. It's a single finite action of doing a one time, I'm doing this. And the next time it comes, I'm doing this. And the next time it comes, that, that word applies, I'm doing this. It's not I'm practicing, I'm practicing, I'm doing. So this is opposed to another word in the Greek, which means to practice or to perform repeatedly. You're not in the practice mode here when you're talking about the uh, obey God's message. Don't fool yourself by just listening to it. You've got to obey it. Do it. Don't just hear it and forget it. Do it. Listen and obey. That doing is something that is a single action uh, occurrence. You do it or you do not do it. Okay? You know, and I wore my Yoda shirt the, the, one time when I taught this, originally rolled this revelation out. You know, about, and, and used his, uh, his, his phrase, which is very much the, absolutely the truth. Do or do not, there is no try. That's what he told Luke, you know, when he tried to levitate the ship and get it up to the ground. And he says, well, I'll try. And he says, no, do or do not, there is no try. Man, that's a tremendous revelation. No, it is. Because that's exactly what this James doing is talking about. It says do or do not. There's no practice. There's no try. You either do it or you don't do it. That's what this means in James here. Um, so the, so here's something you know that you want to know why the word doesn't appear to work in people's lives. This is the reason why I feel like thus saith Greg's because pe- too many people are trying to practice it. Too many people are just trying to try it out, see how things work, and they're not doing it. They're trying it. They're not doing it. Y'all see what I'm saying? Do or do not. There is no try, just like Yoda said. That's absolutely apropos here. Too many people are trying it. It says they're practicing it. They're not doing it. They try it. They make an attempt at it. But that's not what the Greek word is talking about from which this word doer is translated. It's a person that literally creates a one-time event, a one-time action, something that is done. So it's either done or it's not. That's all there is to it. Trying, though, is not doing. That's what that's what Yoda was trying to convey to, to Luke. You know, and... uh you know, there's a lot of try words, you know, do or do not. There's no try. You don't try the word and it fails. The word tries you and you fail. Yeah, that's where the failure takes place. I've heard that from several ministers and I like that. And it's because of the word try, folks, I want you to listen to this, that there are so many people because of this issue, because they're trying it, they, they do everything, they excuse commitment. Because it didn't work. I tried it. It didn't work. So I excuse my commitment to it. 
You know, because of trying, they jump from one religion to another. They jump from one church to another. They jump from one friend to another because they tried it. It didn't work out. I tried it. They jump from one spouse to another. Does it sound like we're coming into the contemporary mindset here? They jump from peace to anxiety because they tried to get peace. They tried to walk in the word that that, get, that tells them how peace is wrought in their life, but it didn't work. So they're back in anxiety. They jump from faith to fear. So they, they go from the, the and, and fear is exactly the same as faith. It's just the belief in the things that are. It's the, it's, the, it's the substance of things that are seen. You see what I'm saying? It's no different. It's just faith in the evident, in the, in the obvious. That's what fear is. Faith in the obvious. They go from discipleship to apostasy, which is a complete turning away. And I know several weeks back, there's some people that are upset with me and, and my position with respect to once saved, always saved. And that's fine. It's thus saith Greg, but you know what? I am not going to, I, I, if I'm going to err on anything, I'm going to err on the love and mercy of my God. And when I crack this, crack heaven's gate, and when I look in my father's eyes and I look in my savior's eyes who gave everything he was for me and everyone sitting here in this room and everyone that's ever lived and breathed and walked in this earth and those that have rejected that sacrifice, you know, could have had the same thing I'm enjoying. And I look at him in the eyes. He might tell me, Greg, yeah, you know, you missed him on that, but man, you, thanks for representing me well. Because I'm going to represent the one thing I do, I'm coming to understand and grow in, and that is the love of my father. The unbridled, reckless abandon that my father has for people. Talked about that on Sunday, didn't we? Didn't Cornell talk a little bit about that? And and so, you know what, Father? That's what I'm going to represent. I may be wrong about the once saved, always saved issue. I'm not. But I may be wrong. <laughs> because I, here's the deal. Here's the rub. I believe you weren't saved to begin with. If you come to the place of apostasy, you didn't have a true salvation. That's just it for me. That's that saith Greg. But Because true salvations, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me, I will lose none of them. That's what he says. And he's a good shepherd. He's not going to lose, lose them permanently. And they may go on and, crack and and escape the hell's flames, you know, and end up in there, but they'll have nothing to show for their life down here. But nonetheless, I'm going to err on the side of mercy. I'm going to err on the side of the love because that's what my God is. That's what my personal revelation of God. I hope that we, and, and Paul talks about us growing into that maturity, maturing into the knowledge of a measure of, of the fullness of God about his love. And really the last thing here is obedience is really the essence of relationship with God. In John 14, 23 through 24, listen to what Jesus said. This is red letter in my Bible and, and yours. Jesus answered him, those who love me will do what I say. Those who love me will do what I say. They will do what I say, not just hear it. They will do it. See, I'm breaking it down. My father will love them and we will go to make, go to them and make our home with them. And verse 24, a person who doesn't love me doesn't do what I say. How clear can it get? I don't make up what you hear me say. 
Isn't that interesting? That's what we talked about. That the word of God was inspired and it was, and it was inspired as the Holy Spirit blew men along like a leaf. Jesus was no different. Did you know that the words he spoke were not his own? He is the word of God. He is just the essence and the outpouring of, of the Father's utterance. Incarnate. The word capital W. And he said, listen to what he says. I don't make up what you hear me say. It wasn't his inspiration. It wasn't his own ability from an intellectual standpoint and reasoning standpoint and mastery of the scriptures. And we know he applied himself from a very young age because his parents ran off and couldn't find him one time because he was in the church. Learning from the, from the, the, the PhDs of the day in the word of God, the theologians. Learning about the scriptures. And how many of us sit here and think to ourselves, dear Lord, Jesus didn't have the New Testament. And look at what we have. In terms of the inspired word of God, you know what Jesus had? He had the old covenant to read. He had the Pentateuch. Oh my goodness. You know, and those people had, those kids had to memorize that. They memorized it by the time they were, you know, 13 years of age. The whole Pentateuch. The whole Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible. The whole thing, they memorized it. Still, people still do it today. Well, they call it the bar mitzvah when they come to the age of 13 and they actually will have them stand up. The Orthodox folks will and they recite the whole five books from memory. Is that applying yourself to the word of God? Now, I mean, it's applying intellectually. I don't make up what you hear me say. Man, that means a lot to me because Jesus himself, my savior, the living word of God is not in and of himself bringing forth an intellectual essence. He's bringing forth the spirit and life of God. That's what he's saying here. I don't make up what you hear me say. Listen to what he says. What I say comes from the Father who sent me. And I just want to leave you with that. How important is the word of God? The word of God is the, is, is the essence of our ability to have relationship with him as Christians. It's the essence of our ability to partake in the divine nature. It's the essence of our ability to, to hear the continual utterance of God that even right now is coming, pouring forth for, to those that have ears to hear. It's the essence of our ability to, to receive the foundation and grow spiritually. It's the essence of our ability to have food to take, to take up spiritually and grow thereby. It's the, it's the essence of our ability to have, along with the Spirit of God, discernment spiritually. It's the essence of our ability to weigh out things that we come across that seem right, that when you put them in the counterbalance of the Word of God, it doesn't equal. You all see that? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I told you I was going to go on for a few minutes more. But I, I, I could sit here and go on and on about the essence of. Just allow the Holy Ghost to bring inspiration. Because that's how deep the Word of God is. The Word of God is how wide, how deep, how long, how far. Well, you can't put a measurement to it. Because the Word of God is living. It's spirit and it's life. And, it, and it's a him. It's not an it. It's a person. It's Jesus, our Savior, the essence and the utterance of our Father. Okay, so praise the Lord. I went whatever, 
A few minutes long. I, I asked your permission to do so, though, right? <laughs> I wanted to finish that up. It's so important. Man, there's a, I just really sense a real anointing here. Let's just pray for just a minute. Father, we are grateful. Holy Ghost, will you, will you help us, Holy Spirit? I know you will. That's a rhetorical question. You're, you're sent here to be our helper. Holy Spirit, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. Help me. Help me. Help me get understanding, Holy Spirit. Help me hunger for the word of God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Oh, Holy Ghost, restore unto me a desire to press upon my master like I've never done before to hear his word. I pray that for everyone that's here. Uh, restore the passion. Renew it. Refire and rekindle, oh God. The passion in your church for the word, the living essence of your utterance, oh God. And help us to honor and respect it and esteem it above all else. Forgive us, O oh God, for counting it not. Forgive us, O oh God, for ignoring it. Forgive us, O oh God, for not putting it in, in a, the highest place, Lord. And we thank you, precious Holy Spirit, again, for the fact that you are our leader. You're our teacher, the one that leads us, that, that gives us that, that knowledge, that spirit and life in the word. Jesus' name, amen. Amen.